Hey everyone, it's Austin again. Coming at you to let you know that this episode was also recorded at the end of February as Dylan is still on vacation. So if there's no mention of the recent news or volatile week in the market, that's why. Timing, am I right? Enjoy. Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wild card! Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Friday, March 13th, and we're talking about the cloud. I'm your host, Dylan Lewis, and I'm joined by Motley Fool premium analyst, Tim Byers. Tim, Friday the 13th, you feeling a little uh, little worried, like a little superstitious? I've the coronavirus is hitting us around the world so yeah i am feeling a little superstitious here dylan i you know I, i'd be lying if i said it wasn't yeah i think that's a very reasonable and measured approach to have uh, certainly we've seen the stock market react to uh the coronavirus and maybe feel a little superstitious as well do you have any superstitions that you uphold any uh you know not breaking mirrors or avoiding cracks in the sidewalk I do avoid cracks in the sidewalk. I think that is just habit. I don't know why that is, but I got a little, you know, I looked down when I was a kid and I'm like, I'm just going to jump over every one of these things. And I th- still think I unconsciously do that as an adult. <laughs> well, it's one of those things, like if you're walking down the street with your parents or something like that as a kid, you got to turn everything into a game, right? So you wind up that hopping over the cracks and all that kind of stuff. I'm with you on that one, Tim. And I figure it's, it's better. It's probably, it's probably better to be on the more structurally sound parts of the sidewalk anyways. Oh, totally. Yeah, I don't want to fall into any cracks. Not not in the in the stock market, and certainly not on a sidewalk. Yeah, I grew up reading Shel Silverstein. I know how that story ends. I don't, I don't need to see it. Uh, yes, Austin, our producer. Any any superstitions for you? Aside from you know all of the baseball ones. Yeah, of course. Um, <laughs> uh, one that's always stuck with me is lifting your feet going over a um, railroad track. Uh yeah. I think I think I subconsciously do that. Yeah, it's just something I never even think about, but I noticed it like last year, I think. I was like, oh, that's weird. <laughs> I have a friend who holds his breath when he rides through tunnels and when he rides near cemeteries. And oh. it's great as long as he's not the one driving. It, it becomes problematic right. when he is the one who's driving the car. So, in any event, I hope everyone's having a nice, safe Friday the 13th. And maybe you'll listen to a little Stevie Wonder, some superstition to uh, get yourself you rid of any bad omens or anything like that. Well, Tim, the, the reason I'm having you on the show today is we want to talk about the cloud and, and really give a holistic overview of the cloud. And you are the cloud guy at The Motley Fool. You're the lead advisor of our cloud service. Yeah, we call it Cloud Disruptors 2020. It's part of the Discovery Universe, which is Tom Gardner's universe of uh, stock picking services. It's a real money portfolio. Uh, We launched it in January, and uh, we're really excited about it. And what we think is the thesis that we have for this is that the cloud is bigger than you think it is. And we find very often, Dylan, that uh, investors and, and people that are writing about the cloud or, or thinking about the cloud, they conflate it with software as a service. And so basically anything that is uh, software that you access uh, in a browser. So salesforce.com is maybe the poster child for this, but that also includes things like Zoom and Slack and other companies that we like here at The Motley Fool. So uh, what we think you should be, we think you should be 
considering the cloud in a much broader way. So we think you should think about it as like if you stood up a subdivision and you were a construction company, and if you wanted to stand up a subdivision, there are a lot of things you would do. You would connect to like the water utility and the, the electric utility. You'd make sure there were roads to where you wanted to build. And so we, we consider all of the things that go into uh, what builds out a subdivision and the houses that go into that. And we think there are six categories in the cloud that sort of define this. So when you start all the way out at the utilities and the roads and sort of paving those roads, that's like uh, what we call components and connectivity. So that's semiconductors, the chips that go into servers, the servers themselves, the networking gear that allows the internet to come into um, a, a data center, which is, is number two. A, a data center is like the factory of the modern internet economy. There are lots of servers stacked together. We use them here at The Motley Fool. Lots of companies use them. So when you're connecting to the cloud, really you're connecting to some hardware somewhere, and almost inevitably that hardware is housed in a data center. So that's the second the second link in the value chain. The third link is what we call infrastructure as a service. And these are the public clouds. So that's Amazon Web Services, that's Google, uh, Google Cloud, uh, Microsoft Azure. And these are big companies that they, they provide a lot of service. It's the basic infrastructure. And there that's like when you start, when you've got roads, you've got utilities, you've got you know someplace, you've got land you know where you can put houses. Once you get that, you know, uh, set up, you, you're going to set up the plots and on those plots, you're going to build foundations. That's infrastructure. And when it's in the cloud, it's infrastructure as a service. Then on top of that, you have what's called a platform and platform as a service is uh, if you thought about any platform, a platform is something you build something on top of. So the best way to think about that, everybody's got a computer. And if you have a Mac, Mac OS is your platform. If you have a Windows machine, Windows is your platform. It's the stuff that developers use to write software. So here, just continuing the analogy, that would be like, you know, the the wood or the drywall, the things that you have for a basic structure that turns, you know, materials into just a house. And then from all of that, then you can make an actual house. You can make a home, and that's the interior work. Uh, so you know, all of this stuff, this infrastructure Salesforce uses to show you a product that allows you to uh, track customer leads and things like that. And so that's like, you know, the bathtubs, the sinks, all of the things that turn a house into a home. And of course, all of the people that, you, you know, the people you need to build these things are the contractors. And so we think the sixth link in the value chain is service and support. So those are the contractors, those are the consultants, and they're akin to like the construction contractors, people who actually build these homes. So we think you should be thinking broader about it. When we looked out at the market, what we saw is at best companies, you know, investors that were investing in, in, in the cloud or maybe, uh, you know, putting out an ETF, we're investing maybe in software as a service, maybe some infrastructure as a service, a couple of platform companies, but nothing else. And by missing those other three links in the value chain, the components and connectivity, the data centers, and the service and support providers, I think you miss a huge amount of potential alpha, the potential upside in investing in the cloud. So our service is built around these, these six links, and, and we think it's the right approach. It's still early, but we're, we're convinced that we've got it right. 
Well, I love myself a good metaphor, and I think this is a very nice and tidy and complete one, Tim. So thank you for that. Um, I think you're 100% right. You know, so much of the conversation that we have around the cloud, even on this show, is really focused on the software as a service business. I think thanks to the likes of Salesforce, people are becoming a little bit more aware of the power of those models and how successful some of those software companies can be when they leverage the cloud. You probably have some other folks that are really familiar with the infrastructure as a service, what you were talking about before, because of AWS. You know, right. the, it, the I think that's probably one of the easiest things um, for people to know about, and even if you don't actively follow the cloud industry and technology, just because it became such a large story and such a large part of the Amazon investing thesis over the last couple yep. of years. That, there's there's no doubt, and. You know, it's it's very easy to get lost in those big names, and we know the big names, like so AWS. And you know, let's be clear, this is growing incredibly fast. I did a little back of the napkin math. I don't want to get too into the weeds here, Dylan, because I know we're only (laughs) we only have so much time. But when I did the math, it's pretty easy to see how AWS could be valued as a four hundred billion dollar company. And, and that's staggering. If you thought about that, and then you looked at Amazon today, and it's about a trillion-dollar valuation. So what if, what if that's roughly right? So then $400 billion is AWS, and $600 billion is the mammoth that is the rest of Amazon.com. What does that say? First of all, it says two things to me. First, that Amazon is an amazing business that's growing very quickly, but also that the cloud is so important. It has such economic power. And, and while Amazon is certainly leading in this space, it is the leading infrastructure as a service provider, uh, the fastest growing is Microsoft with Azure at 62% year over year in, in the last quarter. And right behind them is Google Cloud at, at up 52%. I think one of the things you can think about if you wanted to really understand this, is think about what developers need. So let's go back to the metaphor. So what does a contractor that's building a house or building a site, what do they need? Well, they need a lot of different things. And so that, that infrastructure, um, you need like concrete, you need, uh, you need piping, you need all of these things. So when you think about AWS, that's what it provides. Google Cloud, same thing, Azure, the same thing. In order to pour a foundation and do it really well and have it be steady, you need these things. So in the software world, a developer will pull these these pieces uh, of, of infrastructure that are available through Amazon Web Services by swiping a credit card. They'll pull a tool and say, well, I need to write a transactional system, and I'll pull these three tools from AWS to do that. Um, that's what infrastructure does. And on a platform, say, like a, uh, you know, Office 365, that's, a, that's another platform that we all use for productivity software. It's also software as a service, but all of these things sort of fit together for the purpose of creating software that we can use every day. So kind of the best way to think about this is what do developers use? And if, if they're using it, there's a really good chance it's going to create value and potentially long-term returns. One of the reasons why I liked this value chain breakdown that you provided was the marketplace within each of these sub industries is so different. You know, infrastructure yep. as a service we talked about before, but you know, Amazon Web Services, Microsoft Azure, Google Cloud, those are the big three. 
and the rest of the market is a very tiny portion uh, when you look at market share. Very different story when you look over at software as a service, for example. You have oh, yeah. the giants, you know, the Adobe's and the Salesforce's of the world, and then you have a lot of companies that have built out a really nice smaller business servicing a niche that has more specific application. Right. I mean, and I and I can mention one. I mean, one that we really like that's in the the cloud disruptor service is called Anaplan, and the ticker is P L A N Plan. Um, and this is a company that is dedicated only to doing business planning, and so it exists in the cloud. And the idea is that when you're writing business plans, if you're a CFO and you say, "Okay, you know, our CFO uh, Kira McDonough, you know, will will ask different." Uh, um, you know, business units within the Motley Fool to roll up their numbers and come up with a plan and a budget and things like that. And most often, I, I honestly don't know how we do it here, but in most companies, that's usually an Excel spreadsheet. And each business unit is creating an Excel spreadsheet, and then it gets passed around. And then somebody, you know, on Kira's team or the CFO's team is responsible for rolling that up into one master monster Frankenstein spreadsheet. And it's a nightmare. And it, you know, one of the things that that can happen in that scenario is say, you know, you start the budgeting process in June and you need to be done and have the budget ready by September, but you're still budgeting in January of the next year because it takes so much time to reconcile those spreadsheets. So what Anaplan does in the cloud is because everybody is on a, on one instance, everything's in the cloud, all of these plans get developed concurrently and they get reconciled concurrently. So it's connected. And because it's connected, it goes faster, it's more efficient, it's less error prone. And we really like this business. And what we're seeing is that big companies that need to solve this problem are writing big checks and they're writing more big checks. And so they've created essentially a giant backlog at Anaplan. They have about $319 million. It's not a big company in terms of revenue, but their backlog is is almost triple that. Um, that's pretty amazing. So if you're if you're talking about a company that's actually writing longer-term contracts, that should give you all, that, that gives you some insight into how much faith customers have in the business. And frankly, that's how Salesforce really got got traction. Uh, it would write these really long-term contracts, lots of deferred revenue. And by deferred revenue, we just mean revenue that a company has said, "Okay, I, I've committed to buy in year three, but." Salesforce in signing that contract can't really say that that's revenue that's booked yet. It's just revenue that's coming and is very unlikely to get canceled. That's what deferred revenue can be. Uh, so anyway, Anaplan really fits this model. It's a little bit like Salesforce in that regard. I'm hesitant to use the, the comparison there because really there's only one Salesforce, but in terms of how this company is growing, it's a little bit reminiscent of that. We like it a lot. Yeah, that's a heavy comparison. Anyone that follows it the is. software as a service space knows. I mean, that is the company that really created software as a service as we know totally. it and, and kind of created the gold standard for how to operate a business like that. Um, okay, so that checks the software as a service portion of this value chain. I also want to talk a little bit about platform as a service. I think sometimes sure. the two of these can kind of get combined together, Tim. They really can. Infrastructure as a service, platform as a service get confused a lot because what's the difference between like where's the line between like okay so go back to the metaphor um, aren't I going to be building you know like 
I, while I'm, you know, standing up, uh, you know, two by fours and I'm trying to build a structure, the skeleton of the house, probably going to be laying pipe too, right? So I'm going to be building some infrastructure and a platform basically at the same time. And yes, that's true. So these things do get con confused. And it is also fair to say that Microsoft, Amazon, and Google, the three biggest infrastructure as a service providers, also provide some platforms as a service. I'll give you one example of that that is a little bit technical, but bear with me for a second. So Google, a few years ago, created a technology, an open source technology called Kubernetes. And essentially, all Kubernetes does is it orchestrates, it's basically like a conductor. If you thought of like these components, these things called containers as, as you know, uh, players in an orchestra, Kubernetes is the conductor. And so containers are really simple. They are little bundles of software that can be self-contained. And what makes Kubernetes so powerful is it allows you to orchestrate as many of these containers as you want. And so it's kind of like a platform. And that exists inside Google Cloud Platforms. It's an infrastructure as a service, and it's a, and it's a platform as a service. Now, there are companies, though, that are independent, and they're, they really are platform providers. And one of my favorites, and Dylan, I, I know you've talked about this, I think with Joey on, on previous podcasts. That's right, yep. You know, we talked about Datadog. Datadog, I mean, the dog has got bite. You know, <laughs> it, it, it is, um, it's a great company. It's growing very quickly. The way to think about Datadog, and, and I know listeners are probably gonna be familiar with this, but the way I think about it is it solves a really big problem for developers. Um, when you go in and you can stand up a, bat, uh, a dashboard and you can see like, where is my code failing? Or where is it slow? And then it points you to that. And so as a, an, an IT management team, so a CIO can say, you know what? I can see where the problem is and then talk to developers and they can fix it. Instead of the way it used to be is, well, we're having a problem and we don't know whose fault it is. Is it the CIO's team that you know, demanded some new workflow and now the thing that we thought we built for one reason is now being used in an entirely different way? And so the developers did nothing wrong, but the CIO's team is to blame. Or is there an error in the code and we don't know which it is? And so Datadog solves that problem. It uncovers where the problem is and then developers and IT teams can get to the business of solving it together. Um, and, and that's something that the founders of Datadog saw very early. It speaks to a very common problem, especially inside companies that are growing very quickly. And consequently, Datadog is growing very, very quickly. It's a, it's a smart solution. We use it here and our developers love it. And while that's anecdotal, um, I usually find that if you talk to developers and, and even a small sample set and they say, not just, nah, but they say, oh no, we really can't live without this, that's a signal. You need to do more research than that, but that's a really powerful signal in a lot of instances, and we're getting that at Datadog. A hundred percent, Tim. I mean, I think you could say the same for a company like Twilio. You know, that was a sure. kind of developer's best friend uh, yep. type company. Uh, something that made it a lot easier, kind of gave people the building blocks to work all of this communication functionality into apps and things like that. Um, the the real selling point for me with Datadog being a wonderful business is that net expansion rate number. We 
talk about it all the time with as a service yeah. companies. It's basically their comps number. And I remember when Datadog went public, that number was around 140%, which is was. just remarkable. Um, what's incredible, too, about this business is a lot of hype because of that number and because of some of the crazy growth. I think they doubled year over year right before they went public uh, when it came to their revenue. This has actually been a stock that has held up with their valuation. They they weren't one of the 2019 IPOs that nosedived as soon as they right. reached the public markets. So the results continue for them. They continue to put up great numbers and clearly the growth story is intact. Oh, 100%. And it not only is the growth story intact, but what that net expansion rate tells you is that customers are relying more and more on Datadog. That's what that's what we like about that metric. And just, you're you're right. The best way to think about it is so restaurants uh, have like foot traffic, and they they measure comparable store sale, comparable store sales from the year before, and that's what a net expansion rate is. You take the cohort of customers from a year prior, if they've still if they're still around, what are they spending? Are they spending more? And if it's 146 percent, which I'm pretty sure that's what Datadog was. Uh, when it came public, that means they're spending 46% more. That's extraordinary. And when a, a company can take its existing members and and generate so much more revenue just off of uh, you know its existing customer base, that's that's amazing. You don't have to do a lot of heavy lifting with new customers when your existing customers are relying on you more. And so this is a usage-based model. Uh, the customers are, are doing more with Datadog. I, I don't see any reason why they're not going to continue doing that. That is something to watch, by the way. So one of the beauties of the SaaS model or just the as-a-service model in general, a lot of these companies, because they are subscriptions, you know, they depend on being able to sell a customer, keep them, and sell them more over time. And the ones that do this really well, you mentioned Twilio, they've been great at it. Datadog is really good at it. Um, Fastly is another one. That ticker is FSLY, has been really great at that over time. So you want to keep watching these companies that win a customer and then grow with them over time. The, the SaaS companies and, and all of the as-a-service companies tend to really be obsessive about this metric, and for good reason. You know, If they're doing it well, then you can really bank on that growth. It's just easier to forecast continuing growth when they're able to keep customers uh, embedded in the system and using it more often. So, Tim, a lot of our conversation has been focused on the as a service. You know, we talked about infrastructure as a service with all of the cloud providers, uh, yep. platform, and now software as a service as well. Uh, do you find that that's where most of the interesting investable ideas within the cloud are, or are there things over on the data center and component side that are also interesting to you? Uh, all of it is very interesting to me. I think so. I don't want to overgeneralize. I think one of the things that we see and where we're kind of pivoting a little bit differently is software as a service is not overwrought, I would say, but you know, where it where it gets interesting is that we know that market. You know, there are a lot of software as a service companies. So you have to dig a little deeper. You have to go looking for a company like Anaplan, which isn't really as well known. Um, but in infrastructure as a service and platform as a service, I think those are amazing opportunities. And frankly, as giant as Amazon is, I think that's an amazing opportunity. In fact, I will, 
I, I've already gone on record elsewhere, so I'll go on record here too and say that I believe that Amazon will be the first $2 trillion uh, tech company and maybe the first $2 trillion uh, company, period, just because of the value of Amazon Web Services. I just, I, I see that happening. So I think there's a lot of upside for, for that business. Uh, but I also think, to answer your question, man, there's a ton of opportunity in data centers and components and connectivity and in the service and support providers, especially actually in the service and support providers because they kind of just get thrown away which is really unfortunate. So let's just take one. This is a, another one we have in, in Cloud Disruptors, uh, Accenture, which doesn't seem like a disruptor at all because <laughs> it's such a massive company. You know, based in Ireland, it's been around for years, the former Arthur Anderson. But here's the thing. Accenture does an extraordinary number of cloud-centric projects for really large companies around the world and helping companies get set up and stand up new clouds uh, new projects in the cloud, and they're also doing innovations inside their own company and then publishing the software that they create into a very popular repository owned by Microsoft it's called GitHub. Um, and GitHub is where a lot of developers go. That's just, if you were to, you know, again, let's let's keep the metaphor going. <laughs> that's, that's kind of the, the, you know, that's the tool belt. So if you're a developer, if you're a contractor, um, you know, you go to GitHub to get the tool you need to do the particular job that you that you need to do in order to get the house done. That's where you go and get tools, and a lot of them are open source. And so Accenture has developers who are contributing. They're just throwing software into GitHub, and they're doing it all the time. And some of the really interesting companies that that do this well. Um, Datadog is another good one. Datadog has a lot of good stuff that they're they're piling into GitHub. Um, I, I, you know, and that's that's something to watch. But I'll talk about in a second. But just finishing up on Accenture, I think if you are looking at services companies, these contractors, they have very sustainable long-term relationships with big companies, and that's very stable revenue, and so they can pay stable dividends without sacrificing a lot of growth. I think the same thing is true in the data center businesses. So you have a company like Equinix. Uh, which you know has a lot of uh, a lot of customers. They they pull these customers into their data centers and then they connect those customers together inside their data centers. And so there's a built-in incentive to stay in your Equinix contract over the very long term. And so they just keep piling up recurring revenue, just year after year after year. And of course, it's a REIT. You know, it's a real estate investment trust. So they return 90% of their profits to investors as dividends. So you get some growth, but you also get some income. And what we like about this approach of having just not only the software disruptors, but also these, these other providers around them, not only do you get the whole value chain, but you get some growth, you get some income, you get some stability, and it's a little bit, it's, it's not, it doesn't look like the stock market, so it's not really exactly correlated to say the returns of the S&P 500. And that, that can be useful too if you're an investor that's really looking to outperform over the really long term. Uh, so I do want to always say one thing, this is just, if you happen to be somebody who's interested in the tech space and you want to kind of understand a little bit what the investors are looking at, do yourself a favor and on Google sometime, just take your company that you're looking at and say like take Datadog, GitHub, and just enter that into a Google search. 
look at what Datadog is putting on, on GitHub. And when you see a number of those repositories, and a lot of them have 300, 500, 1,000 plus stars, and basically that's like the Facebook like, the thumbs up <laughs> of software, um, that tells you that, boy, developers really like this stuff. It's just a way to get a, a sense of the pulse of what developers are really interested in. So just try that sometime. It's, it's anecdotal. It's not something that's going to give you a perfect signal, but it's the kind of thing that, that we look at when we're looking at you know, what developers really care about when they're building software. Yeah, Tim, I mean, that reminds me of looking at the Glassdoor reviews for the companies that you might be buying there stock you go. in, right? You know, you just, you're looking for all these indicators, especially in a space where where you know expertise is a little harder to come by. You know, if you're if you're not a developer, that world can be very intimidating. But to yes. be able to look and just try to find signals for you know what's the what's the quality of this business's work. You know, do people like working there? We always like having these little ways to approximate that, and I think that's a great tip. Yep. Well, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we've exhausted the value chain of the cloud, um, or at least for this conversation. I'll probably bring you back on to talk about some more cloud winners Fair enough. Uh, that you like, Tim. Thank you so much for hopping on today's show. Yeah, it was great. Thanks a lot, Dylan. Good to talk with you again. All right. Listeners, that's going to do it for this episode of Industry Focus. If you have any questions or you want to reach out and say, hey, shoot us an email at industryfocus at fool.com or tweet us at mfindustryfocus. And as a reminder, listeners, if you want some stock ideas and recommendations, you can check out our Stock Advisor service. Get stock recommendations from David and Tom Gardner every month, your best buys now, and a whole lot more. You can get all that at if.fool.com. There's a special 50% off discount for our listeners over at if.fool.com. As always, people on the program may own companies discussed on the show, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear. Thanks to Austin Morgan for all his work behind the glass today. It's Friday, so we're going to be playing things out with checks and balances by full time fool Burke and Graffia. For Tim Byers, I'm Dylan Lewis. Thanks for listening and fool on. I've got a million dollars, it's hypothetical Large amount in my bank account, it's parenthetical The money I'm made of is theoretical So in theory I've got it good My fat wallet is on a diet My balance sheet is lopsided My income statement is keeping silent but let's keep one thing understood I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money Or do you do it for love My cold hard cash Is soft and tropical My deep pockets Are merely topical I hit the big time, it was microscopical But don't you get it, I am no fool I own a bank, I call him Piggy Brought home the bacon, he got a little wiggy Cracked him open, what a pity His inner life was pitiful I need checks, I need balances Life's a mess with financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? I know a cheapskate always has a headache Trying to get something for free None more wiser is the miser Always lives in misery 
cashing in on Triple coupon, soup kitchen's calling Saying the soup's on I sing for my supper and get my groove on I still know how to have fun I need checks I need balances Life's a mess With financial challenges Checks and balances When things get tough Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? has a headache trying to get something for free none more wiser is the miser always lives in misery i own a bank i call him piggy brought home the bacon he got a little wiggy cracked him open what a pity his inner life was pitiful i need checks I need balances, life's a mess With financial challenges, checks and balances When things get tough, do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? Do you do it for money? Or do you do it for love? If you want to have a little fun with Dylan, he's completely disconnected rafting down the Grand Canyon, so he has no idea what's going on. Make sure to tweet him at Wiley Lewis in pure panic to let him know how much you really missed him. <laughs> 